Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samha sambuddhassa Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Namo Saranto Suchedoye Hulahudi Sanmiao Sanputoshe. The unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now I've come to receive and hold it Within my sight and hearing, I vow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master, friends in the Dharma, good evening. Welcome to our Sutra lecture. This is the seventh, right? Seventh of eighth. This is the eighth. I'll take it back. This is indeed the eighth of January, 2011. And we're here in Berkeley, California to look into the Ten Grounds chapter of the Flower Dormant Sutra. And Kenny, have we got a good uh, camera position here? Everything is ready to go. Welcoming all our friends who are joining us from afar via the webcast. Um, we're uh, going to start tonight the way we always do, which is to invoke the sutra the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas. We have two seats in front. Anybody who's courageous enough to climb over everyone else? Excellent. Okay. There we go. Um, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of the Avatamsaka Assembly right here on the front cover. So please join me and we'll make that invocation. Namo Ah. Uh-huh. 
Last night was a cold night here in the Bay Area, down to 38 here in Berkeley. Um, So we've got the heat turned on tonight here in the monastery. If you, uh, we've been having events since 8:30 this morning. The heat went on at 8:30, so it's going to be on for 12 hours today, which is kind of unique for the monastery. But we want to make sure that you are not freezing. if people come away from the sutra lecture with sniffles and and uh, sneezing, that's that's not right. You won't come back. So we want to make sure that everybody's um, doesn't doesn't freeze. Um, we are on page 14 and 15 in the text. If you want to turn to page 14 and 15, and we're going to do the next to last paragraph. That begins, Yo, Actually, all three par- the first the first three paragraphs all start with that line in Chinese. So go to the bottom, see that last line, and then go up to the next paragraph. Second from the bottom paragraph. Yo 事故我今等行时善如是方便如是方便菩萨当学如是当学 Okay, over to the right. Furthermore, as to the most supreme grade, of these ten wholesome karmic paths. When one has purified all modes, up to and including, certifying to the ten powers and the four fearlessnesses, then one accomplishes all Buddha dharmas. Therefore, I now equally Cultivate the ten wholesome paths, and I should bring them all. This is a typo. That's two two perfect purity. The Bodhisattva should study such expedient means as those. All right, let's go in word by word and make sense of this. I want to get through this concluding passage and on to the next one tonight. So the Bodhisattva says, furthermore, because uh, he's been talking about um, ten good deeds, ten evil deeds, and what happens when you cultivate them different ways. 
So, this is part of a series. Furthermore, there's more, he says. Furthermore, um, 此上, 上品, 时上业道, when we get to the highest grade of the ten wholesome karmic paths, what are, what are ten wholesome karmic paths? That sounds, that's really language that's hard to grab. To say it simply, he's saying, now, I'm going to continue telling you about the ten good deeds and the ten evil deeds. We've been looking at ten things that people can do that take them to different places. You do the ten good deeds, you go here. You do the ten evil deeds, and we've talked about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You go here. That's what I'm talking about, he says. Furthermore, as to these ten evil deeds, ten good deeds, the highest grade of the ten good deeds, if you have, he says, when you do them perfectly, when you do the ten good deeds to perfection, just the best way to not kill, the best way to not steal, the best way to not lust, and the rest of the ten, up to the point where you become a Buddha. Right? That's what he's saying. That's not what the text says. What the text says, up to and including ten powers, four fearlessnesses, etc. Right? What are those? Those are things that Buddhas do. Right? That's a sutra way of saying even to the point you do the ten good deeds to the point where you're a Buddha, he says. Ten powers are things that Buddhas have. Four fearlessnesses are things that Buddhas have. Okay? What am I talking about? If you're a doctor, when you have your MD, you've gone through all the study. You've gone through the internship. You've gone through the years of practice with first with cadavers, dead bodies, or first with books, then dead bodies, then live bodies, all that stuff, and you've learned how to do it, you are able to operate. You can cut somebody open safely and put them back together, right? You can uh, give medicines to people. Why? Because you're a doctor. You have those abilities. People trust you. You can put MD after your name. Those are the things that happen when you're a doctor, right? So when you're a Buddha, same kind of thing happens. You get what are called the ten powers. Ten abilities are yours. And you have four kinds of courage, four kinds of fearlessness. Those talk about speaking Dharma. That's, we could go into that tonight, but we won't. So when you become, when you do the ten good deeds so well that you become a Buddha, you master every kind of Buddhist teaching. You master all the methods of practice. You are the best. You're absolutely the best meditator. You are the best Buddha reciter. You are the best precept holder. You are the best mm, mantra reciter. All those things you are master of. Okay? What's, what would that be like? Can, can you imagine what that would be like? What about walking into the kitchen 
we have any cooks over here on the guys' side? Maybe we do. Maybe we have people who know how to boil water for palmin, right? For rama. I'm sure we have some of those. Uh, over on the women's side, do we have anybody who's a really, really good cook? I, I know we have some excellent cooks because I benefit from your skills. What about when you walk into the, into the kitchen? Some people you just know when they walk into the kitchen, they, they see one ingredient and their wheels start to turn. They see a spice and they know exactly how to use it. They look at an ingredient and they go, no, that's not the right kind of, you know, of, of pepper. That's not the right kind of, of flour. They know. Those are people who have mastered all cooking dharmas, right? Not Buddha dharmas. So um, there are people who accomplish every kind of Buddha dharma. You hand them a meditation cushion. They know exactly what it's made of how long they can sit on it comfortably, whether it's the right hardness for them, how to, how to use it. They've used them all. They're masters at Buddha Dharma. So there are people who are like that. Other people um, look at that and go, gee, I don't know where to sit on it. I don't know if you put it on your head. What do you, how do you use this? What's the right way to use this thing? I'm sure someone knows. So, if you master all Buddha dharmas, when you get some beads, you, you recognize them. Oh, those are, I see how many there are. Oh, you know, this is missing the counter bead. Why? Because they're, they're called hangya. They know. They are nehang. They are completely experts at all kinds of recitation beads. So, if you, because you cultivate the ten good deeds, you become expert at all the Buddha dharmas. Shigu Wajin Dangjing Shishan. Okay, at this point, from um, from way back in the Sutra to this point, we've had the the Bodhisattva who is explaining this text has been talking about the the perfect bodhisattva. He's been explaining. And here, in this sentence, his voice changes. He's now saying, so me too, so I, this is personally, that's why we've got a, um, the um, punctuation should show that it doesn't. Therefore, I, says Vajra Treasury, Deng Xing Shishan. Deng here means like them, like those bodhisattvas, me too. I do the same thing that they do. Cultivate, uh, the practice the ten good deeds. Um, does anybody know how to turn the heat up to 68? I turned it down. Yeah, thank you. And it's time to turn it up. I see people bundling up here. Right now it's 62. We want to put that up to 68. Thank you. So, uh, So me too, like them, I too, do the ten good deeds. Ying Ling Qingjing. And I'm going to make them all perfect. The ten good deeds, the ten ethical things to do, I'm going to be the best at them. Perfectly. Right? Ru Fang Bian Expedient means like these bodhisattvas should master, should cultivate. 
bodhisattvas ought to do these things. Right? All right. So the text is saying, good idea, really good idea. Um, this is how you make a bodhisattva: is you start with ethical practice. Right? So that's what the text says so far. Um, let me make a comment about that. Two things. One, it says, Rusher Fang Bien, expedient. And expedient means a behavior, something you do that gets you somewhere else. An expedient is like a ticket to get in the door. You want to get in the door, but you can't. We don't want everybody to come in the door, so we want ticket holders to come in the door. If you have a ticket, you get in. The ticket is the expedient to get you into the room. So these expedient means are ways to get us to Buddhahood. If people were already awake, we wouldn't have to have this sutra at all. There wouldn't have to be meditation, recitation, precepts, goods, evils, etc. We'd already know how to do exactly what we're supposed to do to behave the way awakened people behave. We don't. We don't know that stuff. We have to remember it. We have to learn it again. So in the process of learning, we need an expedient means. Right? So bodhisattvas ought to do these things if they want to do what bodhisattvas do. Okay? That's one thing I wanted to say. The other thing I wanted to say was to remind us, for people who are hearing this for the first time, um, you might be thinking, oh, I didn't realize that Buddhism had so many rules. This is good, this is evil. I thought Buddhism was kind of um, don't be attached to anything. How can you not be attached and also have rules? That's a contradiction. Well, these rules, the goods and evils, the ten goods and the ten evils, come from the point of view of meditation. Or you could say that our word is cultivation. Some people get really fed up with the world as it is. They get really depressed or they get really angry or they give up. For example, um, the news today is not happy. Um, one of our congressional representatives was shot today while she was in a meet the candidate, or not a candidate, meet, meet the representative, come and meet your government. She was standing in a Safeway doorway and doing what Americans have always been able to do since the country was created, which is get close to the people who vote for them. That was one of the benefits of a participatory democracy where we, uh, civil servants are supposed to be just like us, not behind glass. 
that's going to change now. Apparently, we don't know the story, but somebody looks like he's 22 years old came up and shot her. And she is clinging to life. She may recover, don't know yet. And one of the reactions to this is certainly going to be tightened security, where we are not allowed to get close. Pretty clear that after this, any politician who wants to uh, get close to the people will have to do it from behind bulletproof glass. So some things are going to change that we have known and enjoyed for, um, for, as long, for almost 300 years, as long as the country has been here. America always stood for freedom of democratic process, that if you were more virtuous, if you were a better person, if you were in touch with um, issues and concerned, you could come forward and serve. And everyone would thank you. They would appreciate that you are doing this. Well, we've come to a different time now when people are, um, we've lost touch with our roots and we've gone now the way of countries where fascism becomes the rule of force. And anybody who has a gun can destroy people of great value to the country. How difficult it is to make a political leader, to make someone who is qualified to listen and then decide. That's not easy to get someone like that who's come all that way into a position of leadership and some person who may be very dark individual, dark-hearted, no wisdom, no compassion, can pull the trigger and completely blow away something that's very valuable. So we've come to that time. It's a time of great um, struggle and struggle over the identity of the country. And I think we're there now. So it's probably going to happen. My prediction is that uh, ordinary people are going to be unable to get close to leaders. Probably we could walk in the halls of Congress. You know, when Congress is in session, you can go to the national the Capitol and walk around. Mm, not anymore, probably. So anyway, some people look at a time like this and get very discouraged. They get very depressed uh, and think, uh, I'm going to move. Uh, for example, I was just in a country three weeks ago where there are no guns. A country where if you have a firearm, um, you will be removed from uh, from civil society because civilized people don't carry tools for killing. They're not empowered to decide who's going to live and who's going to die by simple act of pulling a trigger. So, and nobody in that country misses them. Nobody feels that they're less free because they're not able to carry killing tools in their pocket. How strange 
that in our society we cling to that ability to take life so easily. Right? Imagine if uh, the the means to kill were removed and if the, the, the shooter today, imagine if the shooter had to depend upon his physical strength to remove the politician. Chances are he would have lost. She, she looks pretty fit. And her husband is an astronaut. You know. So, uh, unfortunately, the firearms level the playing field. You know, so you have you can be a total loser wimp and still kill. That's a funny world that we created. And I've lived in a society three weeks ago where you can't do that. Killing tools are not in people's hands. You know, you have to. Uh, uh, if you want to fight, you better have some skill. You can see the crisis in Chinese martial arts films. There's so many good martial arts films where. Before guns come in, your own physical skill is what determines who's tough and who's not. You have to cultivate. And then, you know, the hero is uh, the toughest guy in town until somebody shows up with a gun. Japanese films had those too. Remember in The Seven Samurai, there's a gun that comes in. It's the first arriving of firearms in society. Suddenly all that training, all that skill, all that harmony and balance and, and technique is completely wasted because someone can take a metal stick and kill. So, Okay, so you get the point. Sometimes in a situation like this, people think, why bother? I'm going to move to Canada. I'm going to move to New Zealand. I'm going to move to a place where there are no guns, to Japan, where few guns exist, right? Um, and that's one way to deal with it. But here, if somebody looks at a situation like that and says, no, I'm not going to run away, I'm not going to go away, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay here, but I'm going to look for another way to transcend this world. And I'm going to do it inside. You, by that decision, become a cultivator. You become someone who is uh, studying the path of, as they say, Ren Zai Chan, Xin Chu Chan. You're still in the world, but your mind leaves the world. You're going to be a cultivator. And traditionally, that's a pretty good way to go. Because you don't have to remove your body, and yet you can still happily disappear from the confusion of the issues. Now, having said that, in, in the past in China, historically, when things got really tough, a lot of people ran for the mountains. <laughs> That's true, including a lot of monks. When there was genuine chaos in the world, when 
the invading armies showed up at the gates or at the uh, you know coming down out of the pass, or if uh, evil ministers took over from the emperor who would be weak or something like that. Traditionally, monks would go for the caves in the mountains. And ten years later, when the dust settled and somebody virtuous came back, the monks would come back down. That was also true. Um, in fact, their, their monks take precepts, monks and nuns take precepts that say, in times of genuine chaos, when there's war, civil war, um, you have to protect the Buddha images, the sutras, and the Sangha. So monks and nuns are they're forbidden from walking through dangerous territory, for example. Otherwise, you break the precept. So this is also the case. However, we're not at that point yet. As America becomes a third world country before our eyes, um, we're not there yet. But um, watch. One thing to do at a time like this is to say, I want to figure out a way to move my mind out of the dust. Xin Chu Chan. How do you do it? The Buddha would say, ah, very good. Practice the ten good deeds. Avoid the ten evil deeds. That way you yourself are being true to the founding vision of this country. And you can serve as a model for others as you transcend the dust. All right? So, if that is you, that's where the ten, deeds, the ten goods and ten evils come in. The Buddha is not saying, you're a good person, you're an evil person. He's saying, people are all future Buddhas, but not yet Buddhas. Here are ten things to do that will definitely block you and knock you off the path, even if you want to cultivate. Here are ten things that will guarantee that you stay on the path as you continue to cultivate. So that's the power of these ten good deeds. They come after you make that decision, which is, yes, I want to practice a world-transcending way. I want to live in the best possible way to become wise and compassionate. In other words, I want to cultivate. I want to lead a spiritual lifestyle. If you'd want to do that, the Buddha said, here's the door. Walk this way. Go through this door. You'll make it. Because I did, follow me. You'll make it too, says the Buddha. That's what these are. If, on the other hand, you say, no, I want to mm, get in there and grab for all the stuff that I can grab, then never mind. Right? Don't worry about the ten goods and ten evils. They won't apply to you. You can live like an outlaw and get the rewards of an outlaw. Chaos. All right. So I too want to practice the ten good deeds like them. I want them to be perfected. I'll take them to perfection and purity. Bodhisattvas should learn all kinds of techniques and get tickets for that for that path. Get tickets so they can come through the door and walk the road to Buddhahood. All right, there we go. Any questions or comments about this? We've heard about Buddhas. Above that was Bodhisattvas. Above that was Solitary Enlightened Ones. Above that was Sound Hearers. Okay.
No questions? Are we ready to move on? All right. Let's move now into what I was advertising the last couple of weeks. I've been saying, don't miss this lecture because we're going to launch into the what I consider the clearest explanation of cause and effect in any sutra I've read. This is absolute clear dharma. This is not theory. It's not obscure. It's not philosophy. This is the real deal. All right, let's look. Down at the bottom of 14. Fozi si pusa mohosa yo zo shinian shi bu shan ye dao shang zhe di yu yin zhong zhe chu sheng yin xia zhe e gui yin yu zhong sha sheng zhi zui neng ling zhong sheng duo yu di yu chu sheng e gui ruo sheng ren zhong de er zhong guo bao yi zhe duan ming er zhe duo bing Disciples of the Buddhas, this Bodhisattva Mahasattva further makes the following reflection. Of the ten unwholesome karmic paths, the most severe are causes for the hells, the average degrees are causes for the animals, and the least severe are the causes for the hungry ghosts. Among them, the offense of killing can cause living beings to fall to the hells, animals, and hungry ghosts. If they're born among people, they have two kinds of retribution. One, a short life, too many illnesses. So, to this point, the, the sutra acquainted us with the ten evils and the ten goods. It gave us a whole list. One through ten. And it, it presented them as the evils first. And then it said the bodhisattva doesn't do those. A bodhisattva does the goods and explained. Um, after it ran through the ten, then it said, when you do these ten goods, good things happen. It went, took us through the six paths of rebirth, samsara, and then it took us into the four sages' rebirths the wholesome retribution outside of samsara. In other words, nirvana, different levels of nirvana. Now it's coming back through the ten again. It's going to take another trip through the ten evil deeds and show us concretely what happens when we do them. All right. First one, killing. Disciples of the Buddha, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva thinks this way, makes the reflection as such. Of the ten evil deeds, if I'm really, really outrageous, I can fall into the hells. If I kill but not so bad, I can become an animal. If I kill but less bad, I can become a ghost. All right? Now, this is a pattern that returns throughout all ten. It says, killing can take us out of a human body. That's, that's what it's saying. So, the Buddha, by saying this, is not trying to scare us. He's not saying, you know, you're going to lose your human body. 
He's saying, if you flagrantly, with intention, kill, the result is you yourself, when you die, not if you die, but when we die, we won't necessarily come back as a human. Possible. That's what he's saying. It's possible. And if you do it a lot, it's clear that this will happen. And he says, you'll go here, here, or here. All right? And it's not that the Buddha's angry with us or being mean or is happy that we fall. He's saying, plant those seeds, you get those results. You get this fruit back. It's independent of the Buddha. It's not that he wants us to or doesn't want us to. He's saying, this is what happens in the, gear, the gears, the turning gears of the universe. Here's how the motor works. He's saying. All right, now he starts specifically. He says, Sha Sheng the offense of killing, Neng Ling Zhong Sheng Di Yu Chu Sheng can cause beings, meaning us, can cause somebody who kills to fall, Duo. And fall here means out of the human realm into. Yu, hells, chusheng, animals, ugui, hungry ghosts. That's possible. But, he says, there's another outcome also. If you come back as a human, the offense of killing will bring you one of two or both retributions. Ija duan ming, short life, arja, duo bing much illness. Okay. Death is this curtain. We don't know. Somebody dies and my eyes, my ears, my imagination doesn't help me. I don't know. People who have lost family members, loved ones, no. You just wish. You think you wish you knew. What if you knew that that person was going somewhere miserable? Maybe better not to know. You don't know. The person could go somewhere blessed. You don't know. We don't know. And to see how much of a hunger we have to know, look at those people. You know who they are, who tell you that they see and they know. They always live kind of on the outskirts of town. Or you don't see psychic with a palm in, in the, what is it, neon in the, the high rent neighborhoods, right? In the fancy neighborhoods, right? Palmistry, you always see them like downtown or out in the, it, the outskirts of town 
fortune-telling, right? Usually hand-lettered sign or sign they got online or something. Palmistry, right? Tarot. Fortune-tellers tend to be marginalized. They're over there. But somehow we always know somebody who knows somebody who can get you there, can introduce you to somebody. This is really true in Vietnamese, Taiwanese society. Boy, oh boy, African-American society. You usually know somebody who knows somebody who can either do the numbers or read the sticks or read the tea leaves or look at the palms, right? I was an astrologer, I know. And why? It's because we bump up against that veil. Somebody passes away. You watch them. At this minute, their bodies are alive, they're breathing, their eyes move, they have language. In this minute, the lights go out. Their eyes don't move. Their chest doesn't breathe. They don't respond when you call their name. They're gone. Right? And where did they go? Don't know. If you have somebody who says, Oh, I had a dream. You're interested. Do we trust them? Ah, good question. Good question. Um, it's called Shantong. Psychic powers. Oh, in Taiwan, it is hot. If you have someone who can guarantee you to tell you where your ancestors are, where your loved ones are. You know, but then do you believe them? Ooh, trouble. Some people automatically believe. Other people just don't believe. But we want to know. We want to know. Here's the Buddha saying, you know what? We always go somewhere. He's not saying if you die. He's saying when we die. If we killed a lot, then our bodies are harmed. Or you could say influenced. What is this saying? It's saying that taking life changes our life. That's what he's saying. If you want to be healthy and live a long time, don't kill. If you want to be sick and die young, kill a lot. Take a lot of life there will be a response. And the response will be bad health and short life. Always true? Well, I can't say always. I'm making the sutra principle, putting a face on the sutra principle. All right. Now, how come the plane crashes 
there were 130 people on the plane and three of them walk away and 127 including the pilot and the stewardesses don't walk away you've always wondered you know why is that why do some children die at three months old when everything else was fine suddenly you know the the infant crib mortality syndrome some tragedy some horrific situation where the parents hopes are on this child and the child's gone maybe that's happened you know we know people why is this right well this passage would say to us that one of the reasons has to do with what that person did before. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Now, in this equation, as we're trying to look at this principle, says, kill a lot, short life, much illness. That's like really... Right? Much illness, short life. Die young, sick a lot. Why? Because I, with my hands, took the life of other creatures. Okay? So, what is, you know, unpack that. Does that mean in this life? Mm, could. But mostly it's past lives. And the, the deeds don't get erased or fall off the, the, the balance sheet. They don't fall off the ledger. The way, now again, I have to say, I don't see this any differently than you all or than anybody does. I see it with my same eyes and the same ears. So, in explaining this, we're all borrowing the Buddha's wisdom. Master Shrenhua would explain a lot of these principles for us, and there was definitely a sense that Shifu saw more clearly, saw further. But I am looking into this with real, real interest and real curiosity because this is powerful stuff. These principles really interest me. Why do three people out of 120 walk away from the plane and 117 don't walk away? Why are some healthy babies, statistics at age three months, and others live to be 103? The Buddha's answer would be, if we could see what they did, what you did, what I did in past lives, we would go, oh, no wonder. There it is. Because it's never an accident. It's not an accident. That's what the Buddha would say. Okay? All right. So there's our, there's our principle. Now, let's flip it over. This is what I love about the sutras because they're open to interpretation. Let's flip it over. Well, before we flip it over, let's illustrate. For example, okay, 
you say, in this life, I have not intentionally killed any human being. All right? What about animals? Hmm. Anybody see the movie called The Ant Bully? There was an animated film a while back called The Ant Bully. A-N-T, The Ant Bully. It takes a, takes a camera down into the ant's world and there's a 10-year-old boy who's being uh, beaten up by bullies in the neighborhood and he takes it out on the ants. And he sees that he's just got a hose and he's turning the hose on the anthill. I mean, who has not done that, right? There's a little anthill, lots of ants. If you've got a hose, you squirt the hose onto the anthill. Ha, ha, ha. Drown the ants out, right? Or worse, maybe you use a magnifying glass. Do you ever use a magnifying glass and burn ants or creatures? Did you ever pour gasoline and light it? You know, all the things that the way kids can be cruel. Well, the in the movie... The kid, the bully, uses water and he uses his big feet. And it takes the camera down to the ants. And the ants are completely aware of the fact that they're being drowned, stomped on, and killed. They remember. They're not insensitive. They are very organized, very sensitive of this. Okay, so there's an illustration. Suppose you say, I know I didn't kill have we ever, can you imagine that you yourself at one point were the wife of, let's say, the local magistrate? Suppose you lived in China in the past and you had a good husband and you were a woman in a woman's body and your husband was the magistrate. He was the local chief of police local governor all rolled into one and because he was this public servant he had to entertain when the governor came down from the provincial capital to your little village where your husband was magistrate here he comes oh my god you have to right? you're going to get the banquet together to welcome him are you going to say oh we're eating manto and brown rice tonight Enjoy, you know. We're having a tofu stew tonight. No, you went out and killed a bunch of chickens. You did. Or you told the cook to do it because you had cooks who worked for you. You went out and probably caught a pig and maybe put him on a spit and rolled him around, you know. And because you had to entertain. So you killed a lot. Suppose in a past life you ran a restaurant or a bunch of restaurants. Congratulations. You're rich. One day of restaurant operating takes how many lives? You serve shrimp, right? You have one of those restaurants where you point to the fish in the tank and then they take him out chop his head off and toss him in the pot. How many lives did you take? You think, I didn't kill, oh, but I did run a restaurant, right? Now, 
My grandfather was a butcher. Many, many years. The whole town of Sherbrooke, half of the town, because there were two butchers in Sherbrooke, got their meat from my, my grandfather. His knife was busy taking lives. This is in Quebec where their most much of the the lives was fur bearing, right? Deer. You know, all of the the animals, all the ducks, all the geese, all of the, the raccoons and muskrats. Game, it's called game, meaning non-domestic. He killed them all. So that was my grandpa. So suppose that was your life in a past. Okay, every time we kill, those seeds stay with us. They don't go away. And when the time comes, we pay everyone back. But suppose we're reborn as a human and we don't know that we, we, we forgot what we did in the past, and we have all this killing karma with us, it impacts our body. Strange illnesses suddenly come to us, and we die young. In this life, we go, tragic. How tragic. In if we could see a movie of our past behavior, we would go, oh, look, oh, 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 I see. How many, how many more are waiting for me? How many lives in the future do I have when I'm going to also be sick and die young? Okay? It's, they say, no accident, no mistake, that the ledger is there. All right, so we've illustrated that. Now, flip it around. Flip it over. Suppose we say, instead of Sha Sheng Zui, suppose we say Yang Sheng Zhifu, the blessing that comes from giving life, the blessings that come from cherishing life, from making other people's lives better, also causes living beings to come back as a to, to be born in the three wholesome destinies. If we come back as a human, there are two kinds of retribution. One, good health. Two, long life. Why? This is cause and effect. It's completely flexible and plastic. It depends entirely on us. There's no fixed dharmas, is what... Master Shrenhua would say, Fa Wu Ding Fa. There are no fixed outcomes. It's up to us. Right? So instead of seeing this passage as bad news, uh oh, I got it coming. Not. That's not the way to look at this. Instead, say, this is what I'm suggesting we could say. We could say, wow, thank you so much for raising the hood on the engine of the world, of the universe, and showing us how the engine works. You ever do that? You ever lift the hood of your car? You look down and here's this, oh my, this engine. Wires and 
casings and things going up and down and things going back and forth and boom, boom and the exhaust coming out. Things going round and round. That's exactly what's going on in the world right now. But it's called cause and effect. If we ever ask the question, why did that happen? The answer is in these pages right here. Especially when it's kind of front page news like plane crash or miraculous survivor. Okay? We're hoping, we're hoping that Representative Giffords will survive. They say the bullet went right through her brain, but she's still alive. And she's talking, apparently. That's, I haven't seen the news since we started tonight, but that's the latest news. A representative from Arizona was shot today, and she's still alive. So what kind of blessings does it take to get a bullet through your head and still come out the other side? We'll see. Lots of prayers worldwide have gone since noon. I, as soon as we sat down to lunch, I saw this news today. It just had just happened in the morning. So... Anyway, there's no guarantee, but she might survive. And if she does, that's somebody who has powerful blessings, but mixed, right? To be get the illness of, of a bullet through your head and yet have the blessings to not die. That's pretty astounding. So we'll see. All right. Now, as we flip it over, the blessing of giving life can cause beings to come back in the three wholesome destinies of humans, asuras, and devas. If you come back as a human, you get two retributions. You're healthy as can be and you'll live a long time. Why is that? Same principle. Because... We use our hands, we use our words, we use our thoughts to protect people's lives. To let them live longer, more comfortably. The result of that is, we ourselves live longer. Okay? So, farmers, nurses, You'd think good policemen, public servants, whose work, whose effort goes into helping others survive. The result of that is impacts our body. The result of those behaviors influences our lives. Right? To the point of pays off in really good health, and longevity. Okay? Now, okay. If somebody asks the question, how come? Why is this true? Why does killing give us short life and sickness? Why does... Mm, there's not one word. It's like giving life, fostering life, give us good health and long life. I would say because we're all connected. That's why. Because we're all actually connected. 
my life and your life, lives, my life and your life, come from the very same place. Think of a tree with roots and branches. Our lives are branches on that tree. We share a common root. When I kill, I take a piece out of my branch. So I'm still connected, but it's a thinner connection. If I chop all the way through that branch, I die. So killing hurts me immediately as much as it hurts the person I killed. Okay? Now, the Buddha was describing this process from a vision that saw more than this life. Okay? As I'm explaining this right away, if somebody only saw one life, this would make no sense whatsoever. All of this description is based on an idea of reincarnation. We got to, I missed that point as we started. Right? You have to understand that the Buddha is describing our lives as a long process. What did he? What can we think about it as? Did, was anybody? When I was in high school, I was um, what do we call it? The audiovisual. I ran the movies in the assemblies. We had a club, the audiovisual club. There was like six guys who, when it was time to show a movie, I could I could do it. I was certified to like take the projector on the cart and did anybody else do this? Anybody else a movie runner, movie shower? You all know how to do projectors? Kinda. Anybody do it? No? Yeah? It's like celluloid. Okay, this is an old technology. Now it's digital, but if you go to the local movie theater, still, still, okay. The deal was this: you had this big projector. Remember those round wheels with the spokes and the layers of film that you didn't want it to go. Right? You had to keep it on there because if it did that, you're in big trouble. You go chasing it down the hall. You know, come back. No, you didn't want to do that. The metal cans, and the, to put the wheel into the can and close it tightly, and and you've seen pictures of like Warner Brothers archives, and they have shelves upon shelves of these round cans. I used to be the guy who would take those, and then you got the projector, and those projectors were real gadgets. Those are amazing gadgets, and they had carts. So you put the arm down, put the the metal wheel on there, and you take the film and you run it through the sprockets. Right? You turn it here and you open this and click it down over the lens and you bring it out and you bring it out and feed it onto the empty the empty wheel. And if you did it right, you press the switch and it starts starts to work. And there are teeth and the film has holes on both sides and the teeth engage the holes and they pull it through and you watch the movie and it's a certain number of frames per second they said 32 frames per second 36 frames per second and if it all works right you see the movie because the light comes through it and it seems like it's real life in fact it's a gadget 
It's an amazing gyro gear loose kind of gadget. Like that. Alright? Now, the Buddha described reincarnation the way that film strip move through the camera. If you take one of those films, 35 millimeter, Super 8, whatever it is, and you look at it, what you see is teeth on both sides, or not teeth, but the holes, little tracks of holes like that. But there are frames. It's like a little picture with a picture and a picture and a picture and a picture. And in between are little frame borders. When you run those frames quickly past the light, it looks like it's moving. It's called what? Moving pictures. Otherwise known as movies. When you go to the movies, that's moving pictures. Because they are. They're little pictures. Every second, 36 of those go past the light of the, the bulb and the projector. We look on the screen and we go, oh, it looks real. As soon as it gets out of sync, it looks really funny. The horse doesn't move right, you know, and, it, and we start to whistle and throw things at the screen, okay? <laughs> you remember that, that drill. Right? So, in fact, movies are really important that you get at the right number of frames per second. Okay, the Buddha said this lifetime is like one frame. Last life was the frame above. Next life is the frame to come below. When you run it at the right speed, it seems like it's just going on. In fact, from the Buddhist point of view, we're all moving through this film strip of our lives that we seem to we see it now as like stopping. In fact, he said it's going like this. And what's going to come? He said, you're making it right now. Why is it this way? We made it before. This time is based on the past. Next time is based on now. He said, we are making the movie we're going to watch right this minute. How is it going to be? Is it going to be a tragedy? Going to be a comedy? Going to be a love story? Going to be a documentary? Going to win the Oscar? Going to go straight to DVD bin or something? What is it going to be like? It's going to happen. It's, it's going to be just what we're doing right now. And here are the rules, said the Buddha. Want to know? Here's the deal. Here's how it goes. So, if we want that next life to be long and healthy, now's the time to cherish others' lives. Cherish here just means let them live. Let them live better. How do you let them live better? One really good way, feed them. If we, one, don't waste food ourselves, and two, make food available for others, either directly by putting food in their hands or 
by um, sharing, by not wasting, growing gardens, giving away a lot of our food, inviting people to come eat. If we do that, the result in the future is what? Food comes our way. Because why? We're all connected. We're really all connected. The more I fertilize my own tree roots, the better my life will be. Because I've enhanced the well-being of everyone. That makes sense? I mean, this, this is so clear to me. I mean, I, I really, really like this passage of text because it's not fate. The Buddha is not saying, you're in trouble. I don't like you. Or please me and things go good. Not. He's saying, here's the way to make the world work for you. Here's the rules of the road. Independent of the Buddha. The Buddha's not making it. He's reporting it. This is the Buddha has done the work of lifting the hood and he's looking and saying, and the engine goes this way. Here's how to make it work. Put your hands on the wheel and turn left. Turn right. Hit the brake. Hit the gas. Here's how it works. Here's how to make it work. So, if in the future we want a body that is healthy and long-lived, now's the time to make it possible for others to live. Well, and avoid cutting their lives short. The Buddha is not saying, please do it. But I think if he were sitting here in my seat, he would say, please. Why? It makes his job of rescuing people easier if we <laughs> don't put these obstacles in our path. Because what happens if we kill, we back down into the pit. Coming back up, climbing back up, oh, there he blew it. Okay. So, I remember being about 13, 14, and I got a slingshot. And this was not like, you know, a forked stick with a rubber band. This was a real slingshot. And as a kid, I was very tuned in to things that could shoot and things that had how to throw a knife into a tree and make it stick and how to shoot bows and arrows. And I was into all those sharp pointy things that flew through the air. And somehow I forget where it came from, but I got a hold of a slingshot and it was a really powerful slingshot. It was carved of straight grained wood that was not going to, it was heavy, not going to break. And the, uh, the rubber band was thick and uh, very strong and it had a leather I can see it now but it had a leather pouch and you could put um, the number one thing that people would put into it that was the most lethal was ball bearings not BBs BBs were tiny right? ball bearings they were quarter inch and they, they, they would thump if you drop in your palm you know, they were shining silver and these were they were, you could kill someone, clearly, you could. 
So I would practice with the slingshot. And I remember I put a few through neighboring neighbors' windows. Uh, Mr. Frisbee and Mr. Ludlum used to, oh, he was upset with me. And I would always, no, I didn't do it. And for me, I, I, was, I always knew that I could, you know, I'd practice thinking, killing bad guys, whatever the bad guys were. I was always killing bad guys in my imagination, practicing on, on the, uh, we'd set up bottles and put them on the edge of the garage and like that. And I never turned it on anything living, but my cat, I had a cat, it was a very clever cat, and the cat one day landed on a baby blue jay that had fallen out of the nest, very proudly brought the baby blue jay into the house, dropped it down at my feet. See what I caught? You know, cats do that. Showed off. You ever seen cats display their catches? They're so proud, you know. They're, it's a very loving thing. They want to bring you, they're making a tribute of something they killed. Well, blue jays are very sentient birds. They are very networked, very intelligent. They don't forget. Blue jays, some people, California blue jays, are said to be very mean, right? So, what happened? Well, the blue jays, I'm going to sneeze here. (coughs) Excuse me. The blue jays saw their baby disappear into our house and I think, I think my cat finally took it outside and ate it or something. I, I don't think she gave it back. Anyway, the blue jays ganged up on my cat. They stationed a lookout on the tree opposite the back door and as soon as the poor cat went out the back door to pee, the blue jay would go... And all the blue jays would come dive-bombing my cat. And they are big and mean. And the poor cat, I mean, it is a normal cat. And the blue jays, you know. And she, you know, and she would have to run back inside and cross her legs, you know. What am I going to do? So we go, okay, out the front door. Out the front door. They had sentries on the front and the back door waiting for the cat to come out because they were going to get her. They did not forget. These blue jays were making my poor cat's life miserable, right? Poor cat. So we had to set up a cat box. So because she was used to going out, we set up a cat box so she could pee inside. She couldn't get out the door. We let her out at night, and that worked for a while. But she liked to didn't like to go out at night. So. Okay, so this went on for a while, and I thought, you can't bully my cat. Where's my slingshot? Uh-oh. Remember the slingshot? So this went on for like three or four days. I was 13 years old, right? So I'm going to defend my cat. Right? So I take the slingshot and some ball bearings, Here's the, the Blue Jay sentry up there watching out, doing what, protecting his ch- children, right? So I take my slingshot and I line up the Blue Jay and go, like that. 
dead blue jay. I killed it. And there's the blue jay. <laughs> How do you like my imitation of a dead blue jay? Pretty good. Well, I can see it. Oh, man. And I looked at that bird, and I knew I had killed it. And I felt terrible. Because I knew that a minute ago, that bird had been, you know, watching cleverly with instructions, vengeance in its heart, watching, you know, probably with a microphone saying, cat out, you know, alert, squadron four, roger, you know. And there it was lying on the ground, dead. And I killed it. And I thought, bad idea. Wish I hadn't done that. I connected that that was not a good thing to do. Something inside me went like that. As the blue jay fell, my stomach fell too. I didn't know why. I didn't have words for it. But I knew that I had done that and that was bad. It was so clear. Because why? It's this cold, dead, unmoving thing on the ground in front of me. Poor blue jay. You know, I'd killed it. Oh, the other blue jays? Silent. They didn't make a sound until I went inside. And then they all... They were, I, I heard them mourning. You know, I don't know if they were mourning. But these are our local blue jays. They belonged in the trees. I belonged in the house. You know, but I had killed it. And boy, to this day, clearly, as you hear me describe it, I remember it so clearly. Killing the blue jay. And I buried it. I went out later, dug a hole and buried it. And I didn't have, I didn't even know how to pray for it. But I thought, I'm sorry I killed you. I would much rather have you alive. Flying around. Because the bird that can fly around and make my cat's life miserable is a happier blue jay than whole thing, blue feathers, very blue feathers. And its eyes were dark and the light was gone and oh, dead. And I couldn't make it alive again, even if I want. So, boy, you know, I have blue jays to repay in this lifetime. And uh, so, seeing that and thinking how wonderful to make it come back to life? Nope. So, um, that's my ex early experience with, uh, with life and death in just that, you know, it's that fragile. So, uh, the sutra is here again. The Buddha is not saying to us, you're good, you're bad. He's saying, if you are leading a spiritual lifestyle, if you look at the world and think, how do I transcend the dust while staying here? How do I keep my body here but my mind get free? Ten good deeds is the answer. The Buddha is here saying, yep, here's the actual result of your behavior. If you kill a lot, you can lose your human body. If you keep your human body, you get three retributions. You can come back as a you come back as a human, 
with the human body, but you're sick and you die young. Flip it over. Buddha says, here's how it works. If you foster, cherish life, you come back as a human, you live a long time, and you're healthy. So, people in the healing professions, you are lined up to be healthy and long-lived. People in the restaurant business, can you, can you offer more vegetarian choices? Your relatives who run restaurants, see if you can encourage them to, to, to look, to find a way to reduce the amount of killing they do. Because it seems like a good deal. In fact, it's not a good deal. Temporarily, they might feel there's a profit. In the long term, they take a hit. So, there you go. They say it's not off by a hair's breadth. Questions, comments? Yes, sir. Kenny. Okay, I, I didn't get it. If somebody had a firearm right. and, and he took it out on, on the person, what would that person do? If he, if he pulled the gun right. on the person right. and, and that other person have a then no the, can what can the person who doesn't have a gun, what can they do? Okay, well, there's a lot of things you can do. Some are wiser than others, right? Okay, the question is, suppose you are, somebody sticks you up. Suppose you're uh, the victim of an armed robbery. Or there doesn't even go to robbery. The gun comes out. That's happened here in Berkeley a lot recently, by the way. Uh, Central Berkeley here and North Berkeley has had a rash of armed robberies recently. Maybe even following them. What can you do? Well, um, my advice is don't fight back. Do whatever the robber asks you to do. Um, because that's a situation fraught with danger. You can die. Um, don't fight back even if you have superior kung fu. <laughs> don't fight back. Not a good, your chances of not surviving are real good. You may die or regret that the rest of your life. That instant, right? Um, and if you are a bystander and you think you're going to tackle the guy with a gun, you better be quick because you can wind up causing a lot of trouble, a lot of danger. Um, people who go as far as pulling a gun on others are often, you'll notice their pupils are very dilated because they are often full of substances that if they were in their right mind and sane, they wouldn't do that. 
only because they get super hopped up do they get the courage to pull a gun on somebody. So if you're dealing with somebody who is floating on meth or full of pills, you don't want to do want a mess. Strung out addicts are not going to make the decision that you would make if you were normal. So often, particularly meth people, have they have this feeling of superhuman strength, and they behave in irrational ways. You, you know. So talking about it when you're normal is not a normal situation. Best thing to do is to comply. Whatever the person wants, right? Um, so your chances of getting out of a situation like that unharmed are not real good. But the Buddha would say, if you don't have it coming, you won't be harmed. If you have it coming, you can't escape. All right? So, in other words, puts it back, puts it back to the past. To get the answer to that question, look at your karmic balance sheet. Well, we can't do that because it's invisible, right? So, if you don't have it coming, if you don't owe that person your life, you will walk, you'll be able to walk away. If you do owe someone a life, it will find you in your bedroom. Okay? So that's the answer. So don't fight back. Chela? Ooh. My friends, the two friends. Yeah, I, I said, ooh, yeah, yeah. Well, they weren't vegetarians. Yeah, yeah. But they brought up all these different... First they said, why was I, why was I doing this practice like kind of blindly? Did I really understand why I wasn't harming animals? Then they said, if you truly didn't want to harm animals or anything, then I wouldn't drive because as I drive, I'm killing all these bugs. And then they, you know, am I valuing human life more than the life of an animal. Well, that's what I mean to say. Yeah. Um, what did you say? How did you? How did you do? I didn't do very well. I didn't know you were going to have such a. Big <laughs> you punched them out on the spot, right? I mean, I didn't like, and then they went off. But then they also said um, that they also felt like that I need by me doing this that I'm not going to kill life, cherish life. Then I'm somehow making a judgment on other people, and that's where I just. Yeah, I said, I'll give it to the monk. That's what I'll do. Good. Yeah, okay. Did everybody hear Shayla's comment? Just tonight, huh? Okay. Uh, you, you should have said, you know, I've got to get to the lecture. I'll see you all later. Cause we're, yeah. Make an early exit. Yeah. It's a good timing for this topic tonight. So, Shayla's, uh, Graciela said that uh, she's she was tonight in a dinner where she got attacked by defensive non-vegetarians. Happens all the time. Okay, here's this, this, you got hit by the stereotypical questions, the, the normal questions that people who have never considered the possibility of stepping away from a life of killing, particularly meat eating, 
that if you never considered it and suddenly face to face with somebody who is committed to stepping away from it, it's a shocker. It's tough. You, by you being that way, immediately you're putting a meat eater in the position of, do you mean I have been doing it wrong all along? Do you mean my mother was doing it wrong all along? Do you mean my grandmother was doing it? You're wrong. Who are you to say that I have been doing it wrong and my mother was doing it right? That's what you represent by saying, no, I'm a bit, I don't kill. All right. The usual challenges come something like this. Okay, you Buddhist, you say you're a pacifist. Suppose, and here it comes, this is the stereotype, suppose somebody took a butcher knife to your grandmother. Would you fight back? Would you save her life? Okay, that's usually the challenge. Some hypothetical situation like that. They want to test you because the assumption is everybody has to kill to live. That's the assumption, is everyone has to kill in order to live. That there is a situation where you, the pacifist, will definitely abandon pacifism because self-defense is the only answer. All right? That's the, that's the background of that question. So, somebody comes to you and says, suppose somebody took a butcher knife to your grandmother. Would you stand still and let them kill her? All right. The answer to the question is, have you ever heard of anyone's grandmother being killed by a butcher knife wielding assailant? Has that ever happened to your knowledge? Well, I heard about it once somewhere. Okay. So, you say, um, in that situation, I don't know what I would do. But I do know that today I did not participate in the death by violence of anything I ate. Furthermore, as a Buddhist, I try really hard to catch every angry thought and deal with it inside before I take action in the world. That happens to me every single day. I'm much more concerned with my next thought of anger than I am with some hypothetical butcher knife wielding assailant to my grandma. I can't promise you what I would do in that situation should it ever arise, but I can promise you that I try very hard to control my bad temper. That's a concrete answer. The question is out there. You know, and you do have something to say in that circumstance. You know, are you saying that you... Because people, when they hear pacifist or vegetarian, they, it's hard to accept the fact that there is a choice to the eating of meat because the world agrees it's okay to do. The world agrees killing and eating is okay. Why? Because we've let it be okay. 
It's a sad situation in this world. There are worlds where this is not true. In our world right now, we have said that killing for food is okay. To somehow turn around and say, no, I disagree. Suddenly, agreeing to it makes you feel horrible if you have a sensitive nature. People that you're, the people you were talking with are sensitive people. They don't want to be seen as evil. Right? So here you are saying, you know, look at me, I'm actually happier not killing and eating. How can you be okay? If you're okay, they must be not okay. That's not okay. To feel not okay. So they have to make you wrong. Right? So it's a difficult, and you're, every time you're in that situation of sitting with you, the vegetarian, sitting with meat eaters and people who, you know, and right, you have a, I know in your situation, you have brothers who are police officers. Is it not okay for a police officer to discharge a firearm, use deadly force on another human being? Of course it's okay. Master Shrenhua, our teacher, was a strong advocate for the army, for the military. He says a country that doesn't have a military is harming its citizens. That's what Sherpa would say. You know, he would he would say, in this world, you have to have a strong military to deter aggression. He would say that. Why? Have you ever heard of a country that had no army and survived? No. But that's national politics. We're talking about people who are living in the world, trying to transcend the world. All right? So, mind you, you know, there, it's not, oh, everybody shouldn't kill. If you are a policeman woman, you are in a world of asuras, these warrior fighter types. We need them. There's no world, our world has comes with cops and robbers. If there were no robbers, you don't need any cops. If you have cops, you will have robbers. We need cops. And those policemen had better have something. Now, Bobbies in England, until recently, only had clubs. And England was a fairly law-abiding society. Now they've got firearms, only recently. Okay? In Japan, all the guns are in the hands of the Yakuza, the, the mafia. Guns are not in people's hands. In Japan, at midnight, you can walk down the Ginza fearlessly. So it's, there are different ways of doing it. You know? So we don't want to go to the extreme of, say, of assuming that Buddhists are vegetarians and it'd be a better world if nobody carried guns. Yeah, that's true, but it's, that's not the world we live in. So we need a military, we need a police force. When we have a military and a police force and they have the guns, people will abide by laws. Unfortunately, in this country, we cherish our guns. That's another whole story. Right? I was, before you came in, I said that Three weeks ago, I was in a country where walk downtown at 3 p.m. 3 a.m. In, in the morning, fearlessly. Nobody dies of gunshots in New Zealand. Rarely, rarely. Rarely in Canada. How come in this country, 
Hundreds of thousands of people every year suffer gunshots. That's the way we do it. That's our American way. That's another story. That's another lecture. But to say, you're sitting at the table with people who are very defensive because suddenly you are sitting there testifying that they might be wrong. And you look normal and kind of happy. How can they be right? You know, That's a tough one. So I totally sympathize with you. I taught the class at the local seminary called With God on Our Side. And With God on Our Side looked into countries that went to war saying God is on our side. The problem is both sides said it. How can God be on both sides? Nobody goes to war saying God's on their side. They can kill righteously. We're in trouble. No. Right? How funny. Aren't we weird? Humans are so strange. Right? We go into war thinking God's on our side. Both sides. So, I'm here to tell you that uh, I think you humans are kind of funny. You know? I mean, look at me. I got big teeth. Ah, you want to see? There you go. Ah, yeah. Can you see them? I got claws. Look at my claws. I got really long, sharp claws. Rip you to shreds. Yeah. And I can run really fast and jump on you and chew you up, you know. But, you know what? I do it to eat. I don't do it for political reasons. <laughs> Now, I don't do it because I want your uh, iPhone or your jacket. No. All the killing I do is uh, occasional zebra, you know. No offense to the zebras. I like them. I'm really attached to zebras. And uh, gazelles, you know. But I don't, I don't jump on you because, uh, you know, I, you're in the wrong gang. Wear the wrong jacket color, you know, no, none of that. Too much trouble, too much trouble. I know it's coming back. So uh, we, uh, there you go, thank you, thank you. Uh, we lions, we basically, uh, we kill to eat, and then uh, occasional movies, you know, we, MGM, you know, we get the royalties, the residuals, and then we lay back, we sleep a lot, you know. So uh, we look at you humans. You're really skinny, you know. No claws, no teeth. But you got these guns. Boy, oh boy. All the trouble starts there. All right. Just to remind you, be more like lions. Get along better that way. Yeah. Okay. See you later. I'll meet all Paul. Here from the furry community. All right. So I know I've totally sympathized with Chela's situation where Attacked by the meteors. Boy, it's tough. You vegetarians need to get your defenses ready. What's the best defense? Is don't fight. In that situation, you're not going to win. And when people attack you and give all these hypothetical situations, best thing to do is to say, uh, let's see, pass the dessert. 
Dessert's usually not meat, you know. Pass the dessert. Really, you can't win an argument. Well, you can win an argument with a meat eater, but you've got to prepare. I'll tell you what to do. Go to vegsource.com. Vegsource.com. And on the right-hand side, right-hand column, halfway down, there's a page that's called How to Win an Argument with a Meat Eater. And there are 27 answers, including the health argument, you can win an argument that way, the compassion argument, that's one of ours, the uh, distribution of crops argument, the uh, fair allocation of resources argument, the water conservation argument, the cholesterol argument, the heart disease argument, the cancer argument, you know, on and on. So but check it out. And it's got a picture of a, of a stegosaurus. There's a dinosaur and he's got a knife and fork and a bib under his... Yeah, that's the one you'll see it. Go to vegsource.com, look down the right-hand side. It's how to win an argument with a meat eater. And it's got the dinosaur with the knife and fork. You'll see it. It's really good. It, it, it's how to do your homework. If you have not prepared via that, that website, I would say the best thing to do when you're attacked by the meat eaters is, number one, compliment the chef. Find something on the table that doesn't have meat and compliment them. Say, that was the best bread. You know, you bake that bread. I really like that bread. Or green beans are really fresh tonight. They were so good. Or if you brought a dish, when you go to dinner with, and you know they're meat eaters, can bring a dish that's veggie that tastes really good. And you can say, how did you like my, you know, souffle? How did you like my, my beans or whatever they were? Um, and change the topic quickly. Don't fight. That's really, that'll impress them that you weren't telling them because people are, we're all in each other's radar. And what no one can stand is to have someone else feel superior and make them feel inferior or worse, or bad, right? And that's not your point. The point is that cause and effect is really true, and everything loves its life. We're all connected. So, but that's tough. That's a hard sell. I had all my slides ready, but guess what? We're out of time. Oh. We had good questions, so I went over time. This topic is so good, and the next one's to come. Every one of the ten has these two outcomes. If you come back as a human, you get two retributions. Stealing is really, really good. Sexual misconduct, it's so clear. Lying, all ten, they're so incredible. I, When I got to this part of the text, bowing on the pilgrimage that I was on, we were in Marin County, 
And when I got to frivolous speech, I saw the story of my life in this page of the text. This is what really turned me around, honestly. Um, we'll get to it probably in two or three weeks. But it's so powerful. It was like looking in a mirror. And I saw why I had suffered so much through high school by trying to tell a lot of jokes and make people laugh. As a result, nobody listened to me. When I wanted to say something important, they looked right through me, paid no attention to me. Because why? Everything I had said had been, ha, ha, ha. Funny, huh? Did you laugh? Do you like me more? As a result, when it was a real issue, and I would say, well, I think this, they go, or else they go, what? What do you say? They wouldn't get it. It wouldn't make sense because I had put out so much word energy that was frivolous. Why take him seriously? He's a joker. He was like, oh, now I see something I'd never understood about my whole life. Why? When I wanted to be understood and taken as valuable, why well, I wanted my words to count, people took it as popcorn. Because I'd done it myself. Wowee, what a realization. So, okay, so that's coming up. This is valuable stuff. This explains a whole lot of things that otherwise would be mysterious. Right? It's not, it's cause and effect. All right, uh, we are... In a week uh, back of, let's see, Marty is coming back when? What date? January? February 4th. February 4th. February 4th. So we have a couple more weeks of no Friday night. Uh, the other nights are happening. And Chan session at City of 10,000 Buddhas. If you want to experience... Um, Meditation in a very pure way, concentrated. Do go to City of 10,000 Buddhas and investigate the Chan retreat. You will not regret it. The Master would say, Shi Dao Zi Jin, Fei Dao Zi Tui, Zai Shan Er Cong, Bu Shan Er Gai. If it's the Dao, Advance. If it's not the Tao, retreat. Select what's good, imitate it. Select what's bad and change it in yourself. Uh, Kenny, can we raise the volume on this guy a little bit? Almost quiet. Yeah, better. Thank you. Let's dedicate the merits and make a wish. We could contribute our prayers to Representative Giffords from Arizona. Hope that she recovers. And you know what she'll do? She'll forgive the shooter, I'm sure. Let's hope she makes it. Let's hope she doesn't become a martyr.
Because our hearts are one This world of pain turns into paradise May all become compassionate